<laughs> um, for levels and stuff, tell me your name and tell me what it is you do, please. I'm Roger Doyle. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I compose music. One, two, hello. You can hear me now? Yeah, I'm okay. One, two, three, four, five. Trevor, what, <coughs> what's oh, yeah. your full name? What do you do? Trevor. I suppose I could say the William Knight. <laughs> I'm a composer as well, by funny coincidence. <laughs> um, and um, I enjoy what I do, and I'm allowed to do it. <laughs> Welcome to the Curiosity Series, an Arts Council podcast commissioned as part of the Council's 70th anniversary celebrations. I'm your host. My name is Maeve Higgins. I'm a writer, a comedian, a podcaster, and a curious person. In each episode, you'll hear artists involved in music, dance, literature, visual arts, poetry and theatre, talking to me and getting curious about each other's work. We'll explore the integral role that creativity has played in their lives and we'll talk about the broader issues and the themes that connect their art. In this episode, we are joined by composer and Aestana C, Roger Doyle, and fellow composer and Aestana member, Trevor Knight. Roger and Trevor came to their artistic practice through different routes in the 1970s and 80s, and since then they've worked together on various music projects over the years. Today we're hearing about their paths to music, as well as the shared commonalities and artistic interests that have permeated their work, both together and individually as artists. So, let's take a listen. I'd love to know when you were small, like kids, kids, what was happening in your in your houses and what was your relationship to music like? There was none in my house. Really? No, no, no record player, no piano. Yeah. No there was nothing. no record player in mine. Until I was, I got a Christmas present when I was fifteen or something. Yeah, I was about oh, a wow. dance set. Yeah, um, I my father played in a brass band. Mm-hmm. This part of me, I mean, when I hear a brass band, I still love the sound oh, of it. It's, it's lovely. A, it's, it's the lovely. most. Uh, it's, it's it's probably the you know whatever happens when all the brass instruments play just even a very simple chord. It's very yes, moving. Yes, it goes it right through you, you yeah, know, and. Um, I, I was brought up in Belfast, so I suppose I also had the old orange bands mm-hmm. clanging in my ears, the lambeg drums and the flutes. And um, I, I had piano. I did piano lessons since when I was about seven or eight. Ah. So until I was sixteen. With the formal lessons, I wonder mm. is there commonalities between both of you? You yeah, know. there is. Yeah, mm. I started piano at the age of nine. Mm. Yeah. My I went up to grade seven and then we moved down south so I didn't continue on to get the the diploma as it was as it would have been, you know. Yeah. I only went to grade five. Yeah. I was thrown out of piano classes. Yeah. You were I, you were thrown out of piano classes? <laughs> yeah. Because I was trying to uh, teach myself how to play jazz piano mm-hmm. by listening to Dave Brubeck and, and others and trying out some jazz chords. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a teacher used to sort of nod, and I thought, oh, she's, she's into this, mm-hmm. so this is good. <laughs> um, and I wasn't doing the exams anyway, so yeah. uh, she just informed me that I'm not taking you back next term. Well. No explanation. And she said, what an awful shame. In her report, she said, what an awful shame. <gasps> and then you ended up playing... And then I ended up playing concerts... Uh, you know, 
in in uh, eight or ten capital cities of the world. Yeah. You know, I, I, my technique, uh, I, my technique uh, got better on my own, really, just playing my own stuff. It's funny that the jazz is what um, stopped the lessons for you, and then the jazz is also what led you into both of you. Really, are <coughs> is that fair to say? Jazz was a big part um, of your early. I would say I. I I had, a, I had a very nice piano teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> who used to f- she used to always write in my the little notebook you'd get to bring uh, back yeah. to your parents how yeah. wonderful I was oh. and even though I'd go and say yeah, you know, I didn't practice I didn't practice enough like oh. him doing um, you know doing scales and arpeggios and all the rest of it yeah but as well as you know doing the Mozart and Beethoven and all that sort of stuff. She was very patient, and also, she had all. She also encouraged me to bring along, like pop music. So, oh. for instance, I you know I can remember bringing Lazy Sunday, you know, by the Small Faces, sheet music, and say. <laughs> so I I kind of I suppose was more interested in Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and lots of other. Um, uh, Steppenwolf and all that sort of yeah. <laughs> probably a lot of guitar bands really, um, and then it was later on that I I got interested in jazz when I oh. came when I came down to Dublin and I met up with Andrew Boland and Garvin Gallagher a few others and then we formed a band called Naima before um, Art of Day. Well before yeah, yeah. this is our mid seventies yeah, and we were. Just used to play up the road here in the Marion Inn. We had a residency there, um, upstairs. And oh yeah, we got gigs. We were we were very popular with the students at the time mm-hmm. in the junior common room and out in Belfield. And but, the two of you is that how you first came across them? By going to his shows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Auto de Fe, his band. Mm-hmm. I was in the every Friday night I went and I got <laughs> to look, know the words of the songs and everything. What can you describe what a show was like from an audience point of view? It was the, one of the best live bands I've ever heard um, on on stage. Whatever uh, combination of musicians, I mm. mean, sometimes sometimes I heard them with different musicians, and it wasn't quite the same. Mm. But with that combination, um, and um, I'd say probably Trevor was had a hand in the quality of the mix as well that we heard out front. Right. Um, but it was like listening to a, a studio album live, and then you, you see it all, and uh, you you see uh, Gay Woods jumping around on the stage and being acting crazy. <laughs> And did you then, did you approach him? Is that how you became friends? It was circumstantial, really. Mm. <clears throat> I was I was uh, part 
of a recording studio which had a Fairlight uh, computer music instrument mm. in it, a very fancy. Now, I had no money to put into the studio, but just to stress that, uh, <laughs> I was one of the in-house composers right. and engineers. And, and uh, Auto de Fe hired the studio in the summer of 1983 and came in and did a few <laughs> sessions. And me and uh, uh, Sean Devitt were the engineers. Yeah. And... Uh, I think that's how we actually met the yeah. summer of 83. I mean, I would have, yeah, and I would have been aware, of course, of Roger, I would have gone to his gigs, been a fan of operating theatre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were a bit rarer for you to do, yeah, you know, but they were kind of many. like one of, an odd one-off performance, like in the John Field Room. Yeah. That one, and, um, yeah. and then the theatre stuff, of course, you know. Because I suppose a lot of, if it was today, you might have seen each other's work online. Yeah. <laughs> but then it was, you literally had to be in a space. Yep. Watching, listening. Yeah. Yeah, the grapevine, I suppose, was, mm-hmm. you can, oh, you'd have to go and see this. Like, you're into that sort of theatrical kind of staging, you know. People were making more of an effort on stage. You're talking mm-hmm. about the spectacle of it. Yeah, rather than just... I play the guitar <laughs> and I look gorgeous, you know. <laughs> yeah. You had that too, obviously, but... Yeah. <laughs> Um, and can you so, describe what the spectacle was like in an auto de fe show or in- um, well I can remember that the the van drivers used to go crazy because of the things as well as the amps and stuff that would go in yeah. you say in here we have a chair and here we have a standard lamp and, and a sofa or all sorts of bits of furniture which would inhabit this stage oh right um, and so they would you know, each song then would become, would have its own little uh, setting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Gay was using cut-up paper. Yeah. Or, it's a loosely, you could call it confetti. Oh, but yeah. We'd cut it up. We used to have all the grannies and stuff cutting up confetti, <laughs> which then she would, uh, to Grace, uh, shouts... Well, she fired over the audience mm-hmm. and, and ourselves. <laughs> and then from the residencies, then that made it very secure uh, about what we were doing. So then, so when we eventually we'd, Ooh, we're going to Cork, they're playing Sir Henry's or something like that. Yeah. Would have been a, you know, a big deal. And we were fortunate that we were getting good airplay as well. I mean, when I think about that time, you know, as you said, it, it was airplay, right? For music, there was pop rock music, the bands like yourselves, and then like, you know, the Tin Lizzies and mm-hmm. um, the Hothouse Flowers and everything. At the, at that time, Roger, like contemporary music was struggling. <laughs> like what you would have been making, like was like very esoteric still. Well, it was the struggle is pretty much the same. Really? Uh, yeah, I had some amazing breakthroughs that you maybe wouldn't find nowadays, mm. for instance. I took uh, a 30-minute electronic piece mm-hmm. uh, called Thalia to CBS Records in Dublin. Yeah. And uh, met the guy, David Jukes is his name. Uh, With David Jukes? Different guy, different <laughs> David Jukes. David Duke, maybe. Oh, right, okay, because isn't that the KKK guy in America? Oh, oh I doubt if it's the same. <laughs> I don't think it's the same he, one. He was the head of CBS Ireland. Okay, good, good. And he brought yeah. he brought out an LP of two uh, uh, 
of my electronic works wow. called Talia. They took out ads in Hot Press magazine uh, and they, they promoted it. They, they, beautiful cover. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll never understand why he did that. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I did go into him. I brought, I self-financed uh, a first album, 1975, called Oiso No, which is Dublin way of saying I don't know. But people <laughs> people thought it was a very esoteric name of, for an album until they heard. Oiso No. Yeah, <laughs> until they heard that. Uh, and I took that into David Duke um, and, and he said he'd try and distribute it, try and sell a few copies for me. Yeah. So when I came back to him with this, well, it was a 30-minute piece and a 15-minute piece. Uh, he he said, yeah. But just before that, when I brought in the Oys or No record to mm. him and put on the needle, put it on the turntable when he was actually there, he actually looked up. This is true. <laughs> you could put it in a movie. He actually looked up at me and he says, do you call this music? <laughs> really? And I, I was kind of insulted, you know, yeah. and headed for the door, literally, literally hand on the door handle to get me out of here. Yeah. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, um, maybe we can do something, you know. <clears throat> so like uh, Kit Kat had not can't sing, can't dance. Yeah. Novel. Here's a deal. <laughs> yeah. And then I got interviewed in the paper and RTE yeah. played it. So so I was in my 20s and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's cuttings, I have the cuttings of, you get three quarters of a page in the in, in the newspapers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the downside, there was a review in the hot press for Thalia, <laughs> which ended with this sentence, God help the future of music if Mr. Doyle has anything to do with it. <laughs> so that was going on in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I still quote it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and look what's happened since. Look what's happened. You've done so many projects together, mm. especially in is it the late eighties and nineties? Would it have been when you're working <coughs> together? Yeah, nineteen ninety. But the one was that first one? Yeah, that was from the concert nineteen ninety. Oh, there was right. an evening called Roger Doyle and Friends, uh-huh. and I uh, invited eight musicians in to learn uh, a suite I had composed for a, a film called Bodawani. And um, <clears throat> nothing was written out, no notation, but uh, these lads are quick. <laughs> Wait, how, so how did you up. transmit it? <clears throat> In his bed, on the bed. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah, I don't think he even had a keyboard stand. I can remember the keyboard being on the bed. Really? We I mean, happened to <laughs> kneel like sort really? of some sort of weird sect. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and just listen to that. Well, then. Roger, to play it, I kind of, I watch, watch what yeah, his hands are doing. Quick. Oh. He's quick. I played it. He learned it. Oh, but uh, yeah. I mean, there, there is. Then a, I wrote, I wrote it out so I could remember it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he he taught me three of his pieces. Yeah. You know, I I was given a spot, 
on, uh, <laughs> on at the concert hall to perform three of my instrumental pieces. <laughs> so that was quite a and I learned that for me. That was a proud a proud moment. <laughs> Piece for two pianos, mm. <clears throat> a three movement uh, yeah. suite for two pianos. And again, I learned it with no nothing yeah. written out. Was it? Yeah, I not even know chord that. charts. No. Yeah. It sort of went, the, uh, it was a little bit of a jump till we then, uh, that sort of improvisation, a thing called general practice. But before that, you had Babel, which we had both kind of started doing a bit of theatrical work. And that was a big job oh, yeah, in Oh, um, yeah, you were Ima. in Babel, I and forgot. I, was, I had to tell you, I was the, tr- <laughs> the tramp in the nursery, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, you were in Babel. And I had to sort of play a bit, with actually with Cindy, Cummings, who was just outside the With door Cindy here. Cindy Cummings, who's another she, podcast guest. Is she? Yeah. yeah. So she, she, she was in Babel as well. So she was in the nursery with me, I think, wasn't she? Incredible she? dancer, mover. Or Yes. Yeah, we had a, a, a dance company called Eye Contact. Mm-hmm. And Cindy was one of the dancers. Can you explain to us what, what Babel is and was? Yeah. Because it was recorded, but it was also live. Yes, it it was live uh, as a dance piece, yes. Um, it, but it, it grew, it kept growing. Mm. <clears throat> that was in 1992. I worked on it till 1999 mm. in, in my home studio. Mm-hmm. And it ended up as being six hours and 15 minutes. And what I wanted to do was, was um, make a virtue out of the fact that I composed in so many styles. And... Mm. Um, it never bothered me that one piece would turn out to be like <clears throat> like some sort of experimental pop music. Other parts would be very oriental influenced and yet other pieces would be hard-edged electronic. Other pieces would be soft-edged piano. Uh, hmm. I'd never, I never really paused to think, oh, what is the Roger Doyle style? There isn't any. It just it just keeps expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it slowly dawned on me, reading an article about the Tower of Babel one day, <clears throat> here's a container for language, for the multiplicity of language. The, the old biblical story was, was a confusion of languages and people couldn't understand each other. But suppose I constructed a modern-day musical Tower of Babel and instead of confusion, you have the word celebration. <laughs> and each piece of music then I thought of uh, was uh, a room in, in the modern-day skyscraper tower city uh, of Babel. Um, so my Babel has its own radio station, completely convincing. I worked with real <laughs> DJs. Yeah. And I had always have a back catalogue of unused pieces. Uh, we had ads, traffic reports... Um, <laughs> interviews, yeah, uh, and uh, then it's got uh, all kinds of all kinds of music in it, 
every track is different and each track is largely named after a room or after a place within the Tower of Babel. But Babel then was what I thought of at the time. This is my life's work. It's taken me 10 years. There's 103 pieces of music in it and I worked with 48 collaborators. And so you were both mm. like mm. drawn to this theatre mm. yeah. separately, and then and then it sounds like together you kind of collaborated to make these, um, you yeah. know, I suppose spectacles again. Yeah. How? Why do you think you were drawn to that? As opposed to just I, you could have sat in your room and made music, <laughs> both of you. Mm. Why? Why theatre? Why? You know? Why share that? Why? Why that expression? Well, I'm. Uh, I took part in a thing called. Um, it was a, a two-week workshop with dancers, actors and musicians, mm. which was held in what was called Dance House. Um, and uh, the composers were, were all asked to take part in, in all the uh, exercises. And just because we were, com- were musicians didn't mean we weren't asked to do all the warm-up classes. and oh. all the, I remember crawling across the floor <laughs> and doing all sorts of, you know, <laughs> physical P- body you're a things thing. in your body yeah, yeah pretend you're this pretend you're that we had to do it even though we were saying we don't know how to do this but anyway uh, during that two weeks uh, I uh, seemed to work very well with, with a woman called Snaggy O'Sullivan mm-hmm. and the two of us formed uh, a company called Eye Contact mm-hmm. and uh, we applied for Arts Council funding uh, uh, and and got it, mm-hmm. uh, and the funding was to do a show in the Irish Museum of Modern Art, and uh, I rang up Declan McGonagall. Declan, it's Roger here. Listen, we just got this grant. Can we do it? <laughs> can we do it? Can we take over a whole wing of the Museum of Modern Art? And he said, Yeah. So we went up there for three months. <laughs> it was called the Tower, Very... Tower of Babel Delusional Architecture. <clears throat> because I was uh, working on a huge Babel project and I invited Trevor to, to join us with, uh, yeah. with the choreographer and about five or six dancers. Mad. Mm-hmm. I suppose it was very, very exciting times, mm-hmm. really, to just, you know, <laughs> you'd be going to just playing, a, you know, just playing a residency in a pub and then the next minute you're crawling along the floor or <laughs> covered in muck. Uh, <laughs> Um, in the, you know, the Museum of Modern Art. I mean, likewise, the jump, right? You're talking about that, and I, I've done a little bit of acting, and the sort of the little bit of acting became a huge bit of acting. I, I did a, yeah. a piece, a Beckett piece, act with uh, Rough for Theatre, sorry, mm. Rough for Theatre. Yeah. And that ended up with me doing it at the Barbican and going to Tokyo with it. Now, could you believe that? It's kind of somebody who's got like the worst terror of trying to learn a few words, whatever about music. But if you like that, the the, the element of the theatrical yeah. stuff has always intrigued me. And then you know, I I, I 
I suppose working with people like Donal O'Kelly on his on Catalpa, we toured all over the world with this, yeah. and um, you know, kind of, I, my I used to kind of sit sit in the in the rehearsal room and just with the keyboard and a pair of headphones on me for, mm. and it could be for like two weeks. <laughs> And um, where I would just be trying to absorb the the words and the feeling and all the rest of mm-hmm. it, and almost learn the play like an actor. <laughs> so, and then and then you'd be surprised just when you put your fingers on the keyboard. Oh, that, yeah, that kind of works. The way you describe that, it's just so beautifully creative, like that process. Yeah. And also the time. Yeah. You know, the, the time it takes to make something like oh, that. Yeah. yeah. And I used to love it. I used to love that as opposed to a band that you rehearse for a few days quickly, quickly and quickly get it up and going that this would be, you know, maybe four, five, six weeks rehearsal. Right. And there was also in a lot of cases, you know, where the the process became more important than the actual end product mm. was a wonderful thing, you know, that on the, the journey to, I mean, it was all, always a case of that you'd have to show something at the end of it, mm-hmm. but it was more the the learning or the soaking everything up would become um, as important as the final product. Roger, you're nodding your head when yeah. Trevor is talking, especially. Yeah, I, I did acting as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And when he's talking about like, the process almost being more important than the product at the end of it. Is that something that resonates with you? Well, I wouldn't say more more important because uh, the end product is uh, what what uh, you're, you're striving for. The journey to get to the end product mm-hmm. is is like that. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Alwyn mm. um, w- Wary and I formed a company called Operating Theatre. The actor? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and our our aim w- w- was to make music uh, an equal partner in the theatrical environment because mm-hmm. so much Irish theatre was just people on the stage sitting around talking. Words, words, <laughs> <laughs> words, yeah. Words. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we rehearsed for 12 weeks once. Uh, Sebastian Barry's first play, The Pentagonal Dream. Um, I mean, again, I'm hearing just the time that you've devoted to these practices. And I wonder uh, today, like, do you think having a, you know, a life making music, making art is more difficult today if you were starting out or? I wouldn't like to be starting out. No, I'd say say Mm. from a music point of view, it's, it's terribly difficult without, you know, having to bend yourself over so many and jump through so many hoops, you know, mm-hmm. in order to make a living, mm-hmm. a proper living. 
out of it. I mean, I um, sometimes, I mean, I'm amazed myself that I've managed to make a living and do things like, you know, buy a house and, you know. Mm-hmm. That, um, but we were, Ace Donna has mm. saved my life. Mm. Without hesitation, yeah. I would say that. Yeah, both. I don't know yeah, you, me too. Yeah, a lifesaver. Can you explain why that is? Is it? Yeah, I, I was elected when I was young enough to, for it to make a huge difference. I was elected in 1986. Mm-hmm. As you may know, you get you get a small uh, stipend uh, every three months, and mm. uh, at the time, 1986, it meant that your resources didn't drain away as they had been up until then. <clears throat> it went with, with this money coming in regularly and all you had to do was compose music or mm-hmm. be an artist, that's all you had to do. Just be an artist and you have to prove that you're an artist full time. How do you get into Estonia actually? Um, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I nominated Trevor. For you me. nominated Trevor, so yeah. you have to be nominated by a, a member. Yeah. I'm, two members. By two I'm, members. I'm a okay. kind of a relatively newbie. Uh, 2007. I was just looking at you know oh. was when I was elect- I had yeah. a few a few failed attempts before. Um, Do you think that's because you came from a different background musically? Um, it was more difficult, I think. But I think it took three goes. But mm. yeah, I mean, I was actually amazed that I was even um, when I was sort of. I got past the com- each each discipline elect you know votes for if say so you and you, and is a discipline contemporary music or is it just music just music yeah. okay okay it. so theater oh, no sorry not theater literature so that covers actually theater mm. um, but not there's a kind of a the the performance end of theater mm-hmm. which is a shame is still um, excluded. Um, oh, so it, actors can't? No. Oh, um, it's it's it, there's there's a it's sort of it's gradually changing. I mean, even yeah. the fact that uh, choreography is really quite a recent um, thing to join it as well. But um, mm-hmm. and as well, it ha- because I suppose it it can have it can have an air from the outside as being a very stuffy elitist bunch of people. But um, do you think that's because people just don't know enough about? Yeah, it, I or? think if people knew more about the uh, what the people who are in it and how active. You know, a lot of people are very, very active, you know, and making really amazing work. Yeah. That just it it won't be on the front of the paper, or, or it won't even be in the entertainment guides. You mm. you have to kind of look for it. A bit. Well, um, I, I mean, that's so interesting that you mentioned, yeah, you have to look for it. You have to mm. seek out this kind of cool stuff that people are making their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when you're looking back at your own life in music and career, you know, like where do you see f- fame, recognition? Like what is the thing that, that matters, you know? I suppose that's I was on the cusp of what, the words I was looking for was when I got um, past my peers to get into Estonia, mm-hmm. being being sort of uh, getting past that nomination process. Mm-hmm. That for me was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, mm-hmm. the other composers in Estonia. I think I'm that 
worthwhile that I can be part of this. And in the knowing that my, you know, my work spans a lot of, you know, from playing with Philip Linnis, you know, in yeah. to the theatrical stuff to all the stuff. It's not, not pure, uh, I'm not a classically trained or I didn't have that academic background, yeah. which I suppose would be the majority of, of the composers would have a more academic background. So mm-hmm. I think Roger was mentioned the word for me, uh, which I thought was actually good, uh, an outlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm a bit, and I think the more outliers that get into Aistana, the better. And now, Roger, you're currently the C of Aistana. What does that mean? And is it a cult? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's only six of us. At the moment. Six C's? Six C's. Mm-hmm. How many people are in Estonia? Do you know? 250. 250. Maximum of 250. Oh. Um, and the six, I think it's five or six uh, C's. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be uh, voted. It's the total membership of 250. Mm. Vote you, vote for you, e- either for you or against you. Mm. And you need 50% plus one of the total membership to vote for you so it was a lot of people you need 126 people saying yeah he should be in he should be a C because not everyone gets past that vote you know yeah Um, yeah what oh yes and you get this gold uh, necklace called a torque that's put around your neck at a ceremony by uh, conducted uh, by President Michael D. Higgins that was August 2019 so uh, I was extremely, well, surprised to get past that vote uh, and honoured, of course, hu- hugely honoured. And that uh, um, has kind of been, you know, uh, that recognition ha- has meant an awful lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, I always think what I do is good anyway. <laughs> I do believe in my music anyway, mm-hmm. so there's no change there. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that, uh, you know, people, if people ask you, well, are you any good, you know, are, are you any good? All this, you know, are you any good? Uh, you used to say, well, I'll leave that up to others to say, you know. <laughs> but now they have said it. <laughs> you say, look at my torque. Look yeah. at my torque. <laughs> I am good. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks to you both. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to the Arts Council website and social media channels. That's where we'll announce our next guests. Now, if you enjoyed the episode, please like it, please rate it, subscribe to the series, and share it with others. Doing that really helps us to spread the word about these wonderful conversations. Huge thanks to the artists who joined us this week and to our audio engineer, Dean Jones, at Scimitar Sound. This series is produced by Milestone Inventive and Big O on behalf of the Arts Council of Ireland. See you again in a fortnight.